Just a few moments ago, we sung, sung Psalm 92. I'm anxious to preach from that psalm someday. Um, interesting words that we sang about. We sang, sang about the stupid and the evil people and how God will judge them for their, un, their rebellion, but also even the gray heads till their latter days will bear fruit. That's hope for us gray heads, guys. So uh, uh, keep that in mind as well. That's for another day. Today, however, we are going to be... I pulled the wrong sermon out of my Bible. I always carry an extra sermon in my Bible. I pulled the wrong one out. Turn with me in your copies of the Scripture to Genesis. And we'll be in chapter uh, initially in chapter 6, but our text today is going to be in chapter 9. Uh, we're all, I'm also going to read a very short portion of Deuteronomy chapter 7. So uh, we're, uh, we're going to start in Genesis 6. I'll, uh, we're going to read verses 11 through 22, uh, which, by the way, is the first mention of the word covenant in the Scripture we find in this passage. Uh, but we're going to be uh, looking more carefully at the Noahic covenant from Genesis 9 as our text. Uh, and I will tell you when we transition to the other passages as we read through the Scriptures. Here, once again, from the very words of God, Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will, will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it to a cubit from above. And set the, ark, uh, the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which its breath is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all the flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them." Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. And now from Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. 
Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the, uh, for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. And now from Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. And he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the covenant, the statutes, and the judgments, which I command to you today to observe them. Brethren, the grass withers, the flowers, they fade away, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we once again consider the nature of covenants found in your scriptures, and today the Noahic covenant, we pray that we would learn much from these covenants, that you make promises that you always keep, that you declare them to us, that they might warm our hearts, and that we might understand what righteousness is all about, that you love what you've created, and you want to protect it and want us to flourish in it despite the fact that we are all too rebellious at times, like our forefather Adam, that in his sin we too sin, and yet you are gracious and merciful to sinners, calling them to repentance and lifting them up out of the mire in which we wallow. And so, Father, help us to love righteousness. Teach us your ways that we might learn to do them and understand with clarity the good gifts you give to us. And this we pray in the mighty name of Jesus, and for his sake and the advancement of his kingdom. Amen. Well, brethren, today we return again to the subject of God's covenant making and keeping the nature of that. And last week we looked at the covenant in which God created Adam, known in our confession and catechisms respectively as the covenant of works and the covenant of life. 
We emphasized last week that Adam did not merit good standing before God prior to his sin. Rather, he was created into paradise and thus was blessed not according to his own merits, but by God's grace, provided he did not actively work in violation of God's commands. We also looked at the elements of God's covenants, which we shall see, uh, uh, which we shall uh, uh, see and attend to in each of the major covenants found in the Bible. And those elements, number five, uh, and also we see five covenants in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. And those elements of God's covenants are the transcendent unilateral authorship of the uh, covenants by God himself, a hierarchy of responsibility as God uh, uh, provides uh, a hierarchy. He, he makes the covenant and gives responsibilities to his vice regents. In the case of the Adamic covenant, we, he gives responsibilities to Adam, as we saw last week. And then we see the uh, ethical components of each covenant. There are uh, ethics that have to be met in each covenant, both by God and by men. And then sanctions, both positive and negative, that attend to each covenant. And then the lasting perpetuity of the covenants or the inheritance that comes from the covenants. And so those are the five elements that we see in each covenant. We'll see that again today, although I'm not going to spend a lot of time identifying them uh, completely. Uh, Maybe we can do that in our question and answer time during uh, Sunday school today. Lastly, last week, we looked at the fall of Adam the breaking of his covenant relationship with God, the promise of a redeemer, and consequently the promise of a perpetual covenant of God's grace in that redeemer that would come to crush the head of Satan, though his heel would be bruised. And today we progress to God's covenant with Noah, its elements and its sign and seal. And so this is the second great covenant in the Old Testament. Again, it's in the book of of uh, Genesis, and that's particularly important, as we'll see in just a few moments. In Genesis 6 through 10, we have recorded for us the history of God dealing with sin on a global scale, because according to God's omniscience, his all-knowing understanding, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Now, God does, we often think that God only deals with the sins of individuals. Not so, brethren. Not so. The scriptures very clearly teach us that God deals corporately with sin as well, to the point that the whole world had to be judged for its sin in the days of Noah. The whole world had to be judged. Now, we think about our own circumstance in the world today and we wonder. Are we so different than in the days of Noah? It seems like evil is everywhere. It is, brethren, but God's dealing with it. He's sovereign, and we need to understand that. Well, these statements in Genesis 6, 11, and 12 are themselves assessments or judgments of God on who is evil in the world. He makes that judgment himself, and he's just to do it. He alone is the discerner of men's hearts and actions. We learn that in Hebrews 4.12. And here, in Genesis 6, because of the corruption of the race of men, 
God imposes his judgment in a global way on their corruption. The global deluge, the global flood, his global act of cleansing. Have you ever thought about that? That the flood was an act of cleansing. We'll give more thought to that in a moment. What God had created to be very good, all of his creation he called very good, it had need of washing. And so he brought a global flood to cleanse it from its pervasive sin. We often only think of the flood as a form of judgment and seldom do we consider it as a blessing. The positive sanction of washing and renewal, such is the activity of God in his covenants. The negative sanctions, it's like, I've said this in the past, it's probably not the best analogy, but it is helpful, I think. A coin has two sides, right? The obverse and the reverse is what they're called. The obverse is the face of the coin. The reverse is the opposite side. Uh, Sometimes we call it the tail. It's not really a tail. It's just the other side. But heads and tails, when you play a game, you flip the coin. Uh, God's sanctions are like that. They... Sometimes we only think of sanctions in a negative way, but sanctions also have a positive aspect to them. And this, what happened at the flood is both negative, the judgment of God on the earth, but it's also a cleansing of the earth. So what's left when it's over? We're going to look at that in a few moments. The Apostle Peter speaks of the great deluge and the ark in this manner. First uh, Peter chapter 3, beginning of verse 20, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. What was left? Eight souls were left. There is also an antitype, which now saves us, baptism. So Peter likens, he likens the deluge, the flood, to baptism, of all things. Well, he does that for our benefit. We should liken the flood to baptism. It, when, we, when we think of baptism, do we think of a good thing or do we think of a bad thing? Good thing, don't we? Well, here Peter is saying there's an antitype here. That there's a, an obverse and a reverse to this deluge. Uh, the 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 front side of it is, is a negative sanction, but the back side of it is cleansing, right? There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the renewal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What did, what did Noah do when God says, I'm going to judge the earth? Did he waver in his understanding of that? Did he say, oh no, God, you you got it all wrong. You need to think this over. You you need to do something else. No, he acted on the words of God. He knew it was coming. And to him, by faith, he built a boat that was huge. If if, If you don't think it was huge, just go down the 75 a little ways. There's a replica of it down there. It's huge. Can you imagine? He and his sons built that. For a flood, which had never happened before in history to that time. What are you doing, Noah? Are you out of your mind? 
you could hear his friends. Even now, you can think about that and say, what, what's this man doing? Uh, he, well, he was acting on the word of God. That's what he was doing. And this brings us back to a comment that I made last week, that all men live in a covenant with God, either in righteousness or in disobedience. This is the reality of the cosmos. Otherwise, God would have been unjust in his judging the world in the flood. If the disobedient men in the days of the flood were not, in, were not in, responsible for the covenant of God from Adam, then God would have been unjust to judge them. Do you understand what I'm saying? If, if the men that, that proceeded from the line of Adam were not in somehow, in some kind of covenant relationship with God, in this case, disobedient to God's covenant, but they were in this realm of covenants, if they were not in any kind of covenant with God, then God judging them in the days of, Adam, in the days of Noah would have been unjust, Right? All men are in covenants. Otherwise, God's global judgment during the flood would have been unjust. But God doesn't do things unjustly, does he? He's always equitable. He's always just. His discernments are always right. And that's one of the things that we need to keep in mind here. It is for us to take particular notice of the lesson of God restoring with Noah the covenantal instructions given to Adam in the covenant of life. And in verse 18 of chapter 6, God says to Noah, but I will establish my covenant with you. He had already established it with Adam, right? And now he's saying, I'm going to establish a new covenant? No, my covenant. It's a covenant that already exists but now I'm establishing it with you. You, Noah, who is going to be the new head of the race of men. Because all of the rest of men are going to be dead. Except those who are you and those who have come from your loins. Your progeny. That we're going to come back to when we get to the new covenant as well. But this is important. Noah becomes a new federal head of the human race. He's the new federal head. And what is the covenant that's made with him? You shall go into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons with you. And when he comes out, what happens? We'll look at that in just a moment. God is establishing his covenant with Noah, and this covenant already exists because God had established it with Adam. This, that's where this covenant has come from. It did exist before, and he's, if you will, just reaffirming it with Adam. It's not a new covenant. It's the same one that was made with the race of men in Adam. What's important here, too, to note, is that in Hebrews 11.7, Noah is identified as a righteous man. When God made his covenant with Adam, Adam had not yet sinned, did he? When he was to fill the earth and subdue it, he was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Those are the, the ethics of the, new, of the Adamic covenant, the covenant of life, the covenant of works, we sometimes call it. God was a right, or Adam was a righteous man. He had not yet sinned. Here, God imputes righteousness to Noah because by faith, 
He's doing the very things that God says he needs to do for the human race. And the writer of Hebrews likens that to righteousness through faith. And that's important for us as well. But here's a righteous man who is now going to be the new federal head of the human race because all of the other men of his, of his generation will be dead. And God is, is likening that uh, to a covenant with a righteous man. Now, why do I make such a big deal of the continuing of the Adamic covenant being part of the Noahic covenant? The reason is that God is emphasizing here a principle that we shall see in all the subsequent covenants up to and including the new covenant. That principle is the continuity and perpetuity of God's covenants through all eternity. All eternity. God makes these covenants not to expire. The covenant He made with Adam didn't expire with Noah. On the contrary, it was reaffirmed. We're going to see in just a few moments. This is an everlasting covenant. Meaning the, 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 the terms of the Adamic covenant are reaffirmed in the Noahic covenant. And they don't end. Because we have this new federal head that has a covenant with God that God gives to him. God gives this covenant to Noah. And the terms of that covenant don't go away. They don't go away. They're perpetuated. And that principle is going to continue throughout the Scriptures, right on and including the new covenant. So hear this again in Genesis 9, verses 8-13. through Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds of the... The birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you, all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth, this, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be food, a flood to destroy the earth. And then in verse 12, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature with you for perpetual generations. That little phrase is pregnant with meaning for us. And I can't overemphasize this enough. For perpetual generations. When do generations end? Let me ask that question. When will the generations end? Never. If, we, if the Scriptures are true and we put our trust in Christ's sacrifice for our own eternal lives, that Christ died on the cross to forgive us our sins, and we abide in Him. And if we abide in Him, that we shall abide forever. Why? Because on the third day, He rose from the grave and He conquered death for all mankind. We'll see this very clearly when we look at the the New Covenant. If that's true, generations will never end. I will see all of you 100,000 years from today. Those of you who have put your trust in Christ. And He's your Savior. In fact, I'll see you a million years from today. In fact, I will see you for eternity. Now, you may not want to see me for that long, but I want to see you folks for that long. I look forward to that. I truly look forward to that. 
And yes, you know, the, the, this little body's gonna, it's already dying, I already feel it. I mean, it's coming to an end. Some of you who are in your early 30s are starting to get glimpses of how finite your, your, your bodies are, right? And when you get to your 40s, you're like, this is getting bad. <laughs> well, wait till you get to your 60s. And it, it just comes to fruition, you know. It all, it all, I, I, make, I jest about that a little bit, but just a little bit. What I'm trying to emphasize is this covenant is eternal. The ramifications of this covenant are eternal. This is how important covenants are to God. And yet, in the evangelical church, are they spoken of every day or often? Or, well, we try to speak of them a lot here, but they're basically forgotten. In fact, in the last 200 years, the church has actually turned away from covenant theology and into dispensational theology, which frankly... I think, is abhorrent. I think it's actually evil. But that's for another day. What I do want to emphasize is how important these covenants are for perpetual generations. This is something that doesn't end. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Notice that the covenant is between him and the earth. It's not just... He made a covenant with animals. God did. That's how important these covenants are to God. I made creation. It was very good. I'm going to restore that. I'll read that passage in Romans 8 again during communion today. You'll see it there. Well, verses 12 and 13 from Genesis 9 establish the nature of how God will deal with mankind in His covenants. And this thread can be seen through all the covenants that follow after it. So the major covenants, I haven't mentioned this yet, now would be a good time to do that. The major covenants of the Old Testament are the Adamic covenant, the, uh, the Noahic covenant, then the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the Davidic covenant. So we're going to look at all five of those. Today we're on the second one, the Noahic covenant. And then the new covenant is in Christ Jesus. It follows after the first five. They do not cease and they can be relied on for eternity. Rather, and our hope for eternal redemption is based upon this principle that's spoken of. We also know it's based upon the promise of the, one, the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. That's the, the proto-evangelium, the very first mention of, of a, a salvific work by Christ. Uh, though his name is not mentioned, but he is the seed of the woman who's going to crush the head of the serpent. But here, for perpetual generations, that little phrase gives us an inkling of how God, His covenants, the ramifications don't end. Why? Because they come, they come from a person who doesn't end. They come, it's His attribute, His eternal attribute, His omnipresence, always there, always there, from eternity past to eternity future, his omnipresence is found here in this covenant. I am making a covenant with you. My promise is perpetual to all generations. It doesn't end. Okay, I, I guess I've said that enough. Let's move on. So the question for every man, woman, and child then, so children, listen up. This is a question for you too. And I'll try to make it easy enough to understand, although I'm going to use some big words. <laughs> 
Where am I in relationship to God and His covenants? Where am I? In other words, what do I believe about God and His covenants? And what, what do they say to me about how God's going to deal with me? Do I live in submission to the Creator and His covenants, or do I live in rebellion to the God of the universe and His covenants? And I, I, that's intentional, the God of the universe. Rather, these things have cosmic ramifications. These are not just little promises that last for a while and then come to an end. That's the kind of covenants we make. They're called contracts. We make contracts that actually one of the elements of a contract is it can't be listed in perpetuity because we, we don't know how long we can keep them. If you go into a court of law, a covenant has to come to an end at some point. It has to be a, a definitive end to it in a contract. And then the kinds of covenants we make. God doesn't make covenants like that. He makes covenants that have eternal consequences. These are cosmic events. So we need to look upon them as such. So the question is not whether I must live in covenant with God. All men live in covenant with God. We're we're created in that existence. The question is whether I humbly acknowledge that I live in the real world, the reality of God's covenant, and submit to His will, or will I live in rebellion? And that's the question man has to deal with all his life. Am I going to live in submission or rebellion? Notice too, uh, that in this reestablished covenant of life, this reaffirmation of the covenant that God made with Adam, that the preservation of life in a cursed world must necessarily include the shedding of blood. Must necessarily include the shedding of blood. Now, I, I, I didn't talk about some of the signs and the seals of the Adamic covenant. We're going I have to talk about the sign and seal here, the rainbow. Um, But in the Adamic covenant, we have a little phrase about God. You know, when Adam and Eve fell, they sinned against God. They they realized they were naked. Prior to that time, it wasn't a big deal to them. But after they sinned, they were naked. So they tried to hide their nakedness with leaves from trees. My guess is palm trees or maybe banana trees or whatever. They, they, They use some kind of leaf to cover their nakedness. God says that's not good enough. Because if life is going to be perpetuated, it has to be perpetuated through the blood. So what did God do? God killed some of the animals to provide skins for them to be covered. It's a very short portion of the the narrative in the early parts of, I forget what chapter and verse it is. It's like one verse. But that's, a, that's a, a, a covenant sign of what God was doing or would do and is promised to do on behalf of Adam and Eve. To bring them back. To restore them. To redeem them out of their sin. Blood had to be shed. Blood's an important aspect of God's covenant. And here, in the Noahic covenant, blood is spoken of a great deal. Blood in this covenant uh, is so important that God condemns murderer with capital punishment for the first time. Now, it wasn't that murder was permissible prior to this. 
it, it was never permissible. We understand that with Cain and Abel. But what we do see here is, and I mentioned this before about the elements of covenants, that there's a, in addition to God establishing a covenant, he also establishes a hierarchy of how it's to be kept. He gives responsibilities to his vice regents. He gave the responsibility to Adam and Eve to, to fill the earth and to subdue it. So he, 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 could have had, he could have done that by the power of his own word, but he didn't. He gave that responsibility to Adam and Eve. Here, God says, because of sin in the world and because men take other men's lives, which I abhor, if that happens, then by man, his blood should be shed, the one who takes another man's life. So capital punishment's instituted here. God condemns murder with capital punishment. Thus the murderer's blood shall be shed in order that he shall not murder again. Those who claim that capital punishment is not a deterrent to capital crimes ignore the obvious. It certainly deters the one who is guilty of the capital crime, if it's imposed. It is a deterrent for the one who did it, if that person is executed. But another prohibition is raised in verse 4, where we read, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Here God establishes that mankind may consume the flesh of beasts, but not its blood. Brethren, remember that this this is a perpetual covenant. So when God says you can't, you can't eat the blood of animals, he's talking to us too. Oh no, pastor, that's Old Covenant. That's Old Testament stuff. That doesn't pertain to me. Oh yes, it does. Did you know that this very provision is reiterated in the book of Acts? Acts 15.29, at the Council of Jerusalem, God says in that council that we're not to eat the blood of animals. Again, the continuity of God's Noahic covenant is found in the New Covenant. And it's for perpetual generations. We, we, we dismiss the notion of perpetual generations so very quickly when it comes to the Old Testament. When, in fact, that's something we need to embrace. There is a continuity between the covenants. Oh, but Pastor Hickey, we don't slay animals uh, in worship anymore, do we? We don't. We don't have to bring lambs to, to, to be slaughtered for the, our sins. No, because God took care of that. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has already been slaughtered. It doesn't have to happen again. So you see there's some modifications to those Old Testament laws, which we will look at when we go through the Mosaic Covenant and then into the New Covenant. But we should first think that things haven't changed from those Old Covenants. They are everlasting covenants. The nature of them doesn't change. There there can be modifications in our circumstances uh, in following Christ where he has made some changes because of his personage, because of his authority. But the nature of the covenant is perpetual. Okay. Uh, Bridget, we're not going to have the next hymn. It's unfortunate. I really wanted to sing that hymn today, but we're not going to be able to. I've got to deal with the sign and seal here because this is very important. Who, Who among us does not like seeing a rainbow in the sky? Or a double rainbow? Or even, when I was in Ireland, we saw triple rainbows, which are very unusual. But in Ireland, they're there. 
because it rains so much over there. But who doesn't enjoy seeing those things when they happen? It warms your heart, right? Thus I will establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. Not only was the covenant for perpetual generations, the sign of the covenant is for perpetual generations. Do you know, well, I've already said enough about that, I think. I will set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be a sign for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. Notice the next phrase. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on earth. Who is the rainbow for? God Himself. I'm looking on that, and I'm not that God forgets. He, he doesn't forget things. But I'm putting this rainbow in the sky to remind myself that I've made a covenant with you. I'm not going to destroy you in this way again. No matter how bad the earth gets, I'm not going to do that again. That's why we can look at the news reports and see all the evil in the world and not do it in fear that God is going to pour out His wrath on us with a great flood again. It's not going to happen. Why? Because when the rainbow appears in the sky, God looks upon it and says, I've made a covenant with the earth. The whole earth. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going there again. I'm not doing it. I could preach so many sermons on this very notion that God sees... We're going to... The sign and seal of the new covenant is sitting right here on a table before us. We're going to partake of it in a few moments. Who do you think that sign and seal is for? Yes, it's for us, but it's for God too. My son died for these people. He looks at this sign and he seal and he sees your salvation. Not because it's in the elements, but because of what the elements represent. My lamb died for these people. Blood was shed for their sins. I'll remember their sins no more. I promise that. That's what's happening here. I'm sorry. I wept this morning as I was going over my notes again before I came. I prayed that I could, I could, I prayed to God. I said, God, help me. Help me, uh, help me betray to the people of God just how important these things are. Maybe my tears are doing that, I don't know. But you understand, what God has done for us is so great. And it's for perpetual generations. We don't have to worry that God will change His mind. Your redemption is for eternity when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. All right, I have more on my notes, but I'm not going there. We've, time is gone. Brethren, I, I do want to say these last few words. 
When we see a rainbow in the sky, what do we think about? Do our mind, does our mind go first and foremost to the notion that God is reminding Himself He's not going to judge us with a flood again? And then, or, <laughs> I, I have to confess, typically I think, man, that's beautiful. God is so creative. Well, that's an, a right notion. But we need to think about God's covenants when we see the signs and the seals. When we see this sign and seal, we need to think about the covenant God made with His Father, Jesus Christ made with His Father, to provide us with redemption through His shed blood and His broken body. When we see baptism, we need to think about the covenant that God's made for us to redeem us and to wash us clean. Ezekiel 36. If you don't think that is in in the Old Testament, you need to read Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. That's what God says. For perpetual generations. For perpetual generations. Let's pray.